So we're coming towards the end of our series on the Holy Spirit that we've called And Breathe. Uh, so just this week and then next week, Judy's going to kind of summarize and draw a few th- threads together from the whole series. But today we're looking at the uh, gift of tongues. Um, uh, and there's just a reminder that for all of us, if you go to our blog, which the details are on the screen, there's lots of resources there, questions to both study in groups or on your own to kind of take a little bit deeper, go a little bit deeper out of the talk. So do Continue to look what's there and go go wherever that's useful to use for your groups. Um, most people in their studies have pictures of, you know, beautiful pictures to inspire them and, you know, loved ones and all that sort of stuff. Uh, on my wall in my study is this. A simple little poster. There's a number of them, but this one says, shh. Uh, this is not... Uh, directed at anyone that might come into the study. You know, shut up. It's not a library. No, this is more for me. Uh, Partly as a reminder that uh, somebody who quite likes talking, uh, sometimes words can be silent and you don't need to talk to him. Uh, But I also came to mind when we think about the gift of tongues. Because sometimes we all have been in situations where words are not what is needed. And we perhaps don't have the words to say. And I wonder if that gets to the heart of the gift of tongues as we'll go through this morning. Uh, And what we're going to do is we're going to highlight two specific things because you may know that the whole gift of tongues has been something that churches have split over, denominations have formed, different church streams have kind of had very strong views on it. And certainly I know when I was kind of in my formational years as a student and really growing in faith, this thing was really a hot topic in which we used to have lots of arguments about. Well, this morning what I simply want to do is to ask, uh, look at two different things. Firstly, A, what I think seems pretty clear from the Bible about the gift of tongues. And then B, what questions remain, I think, about the gift of tongues. And then under each of those, there's a number of different like, things we'll draw out. So firstly, what seems pretty clear about the gift of tongues in the Bible? Well, on the, on the screen, there's lots of Bible verses coming out from the book of Acts. You'll see them there. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 19. All environments. You've got Pentecost there in Acts chapter 2. You've got Cornelius and then his family kind of becoming believers in Acts 10. And then a number of people who are having an experience of people of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 19. And all of these things, I think, show that in the early church, the use of tongues, the gift of tongues, was a normal thing. This is not described as being sort of, you know, wow. It was actually just a normal thing. It's perhaps not as weird as sometimes we might think it is. So that's the first thing. It's normal, the gift of tongues. And whatever your background, whatever your understanding, whether you've been a believer for years or whether you're exploring faith, uh, whether you come from an environment where you're a little bit cautious of all this stuff or this is the stuff, this is where the money is, uh, actually... All of them, this is a normality to the gift of tongues, I think, in the Bible. But the second thing to draw out, as the Bible passage that we've had read to us makes clear, is that tongues is a gift. Uh, Somebody put in the chat during the first service on YouTube, just that reminder to embrace the gifts that our good Father gives to us. In the same way that Christmas 
We all remember when we were children seeing the presents laid out under the tree and the eager expectation, is that one for me? And then ripping off the presents order, ripping off the wrapping paper. Because we know that a gift is good and so we want it. And there's just that reminder, a gift from a loving Heavenly Father is not something to be feared or something to sort of shun, but actually to embrace. It's not for special people only, the uber elite Christians, or for those that kind of seem to be more in tune with God. And also the gift of tongues is not to be forced. Here, have this gift. No, it's a gift from a father that we embrace. So it's normal, it's a gift. But I think thirdly, in the things that are quite clear from the Bible, I think it's not for everyone. Uh, let me read to you uh, what we've heard already. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28. And I want you to answer the question out loud that's being asked. Okay, So you're going to join in with this. Acts chapter 12, verse 28. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, uh, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles... Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all have gifts of healing? No. Do all speak in tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. We've answered the question. I think Paul's quite clear. The gift of tongues is not for everyone in the same way the other gifts are not for everyone. Some sections of the church would differ on this understanding. And I just think the emphasis from the Bible here is that gifts are for all, for the body, but not all gifts are for all. And there are gifts that not everyone has. And this is one of those, I think. I'm not sure I go along with the idea that all Christians, if you've had an experience of the Spirit, should speak in tongues. I don't find that myself. So it's not for everyone. And the next thing I think is clear, that it seems that the emphasis that Paul is making in this book, in 1 Corinthians, is that the use of tongues is primarily more for personal use than for corporate use. So this church in Corinth was a, Corinth, a big city, kind of very cosmopolitan city. And what seemed to be happening is that they were elevating the sort of spectacular gifts. The ones that were really, wow, look at that. And there was almost this sense of it was they were going crazy. And if you'd have gone into a church meeting at Corinth, it would all kicking off and it was like, whoa. And Paul's trying to sort of say, whoa, 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 whoa. Calm down. Calm down, dear. Um, and I think it's a sense that he says with the gift of tongues, the emphasis is more personal than corporate. Let me read to you. Chapter 14, verse 2. It's going to be on the screen. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. And then verse 18 of 1 Corinthians 14. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Suggestion, I think, is that tongues is primarily to God, whereas other gifts in the gathering are primarily to others. Prophecy, for example, and you know, teaching, preaching, whatever it might be. And so therefore, when gathered together, 
Paul says it's preferable to use words that everybody understands. Which, by the way, is why I think the gift of tongues is not the same as just being able to speak in a foreign language. It's clear from the book of Acts, when Pentecost kicks off, there were some people that understood their own language. But I think what Paul is saying here is it's clear that no one understands it. And so it's because you're only uttering it to God rather than others. In other words, there's not the potential that others will necessarily understand naturally these gifts, these words. So I think his emphasis is more personal and corporate. But that doesn't mean you stop it in the corporate gathering. But he gives clear guidelines about how it should therefore be used when we gather. Verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 14. Let me read to you. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. Verse 27. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak one at a time and someone must interpret. So even though it may be more personally oriented... Don't discourage it in the gathering, but when it is in the public gathering, it does need to be interpreted so that others understand what's going on. Which is, by the way, where we as a church work hard at making sure all aspects of our church gatherings are as accessible to as many people as possible. Avoiding jargon, avoiding words that may sound spiritual, but that just don't mean anything to the average person on the street. Because Paul's tenor here seems to be that anyone coming in can't be excluded. And so therefore, interpretation is important if it's spoken in public. Sometimes people say, you know, are our church services, are these gatherings for Christians or for not? And the answer is, yes. We want them to be encouraging and informing and inspiring for all of us and also very accessible for all of us who don't know anything about Jesus. Step foot in the first time. Uh, and what's interesting about this is, is different people's response. I have some friends, some close friends of ours who uh, wouldn't call themselves followers of Jesus. They started going along to another a church uh, and we're really loving it to the point they're about to start an alpha course. And then clearly something happened in a service where somebody spoke in tongues and it wasn't handled very well from what their retelling was. And as a result, they were totally freaked out and have never stepped foot in a church since. Because it wasn't explained or interpreted. But at the same time, that doesn't mean we forbid it in public gatherings. I had somebody else after the first service came up to me saying when they were exploring faith, they went into an environment where lots of people were privately speaking out in worship. And rather than being freaked out, they were sort of, wow, there's something happening here. And it led them on the journey to faith. So there's both. In public, we need it to be interpreted. That's why... In our gatherings, people may use tongues privately as we worship, as we sing or in prayer, privately, quietly to themselves. But if there's a word given to the church, then we would wait and invite somebody to interpret it. And it may be that sometimes that's happened and it's been spot on and really helpful. I know for myself, I speak in tongues privately and find it hugely helpful. I've never done it publicly 
but that doesn't mean I never won't. But I, you know, I think the emphasis is that. The next thing is this. It seems to me from Paul that it's also under the control of the person using the gift of tongues. It's not some sort of utterance that they can't stop. Let me read to you verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 14. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in the tongue, two or most three should speak one at a time and someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church, speak to himself and God. Seems pretty clear for that. They're in control. And so therefore, it's not something that they can't stop, but actually it needs to be ordered. Why? So that the church can be built up rather than just crazy free-for-all. Now, all of this might think, boy, this is, there's lots to get your head around here. I don't know if I'll bother with that. But listen again to Paul's words. And this is the next thing that the Bible makes pretty clear. Verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 14. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. It is desirable. And for some of us, we need to be reminded of that, I think. Maybe we as people here that you... You, you, you've not been given the gift of tongues, but actually deep down you have that sense that maybe this morning even you want to say, Lord, would, would it be possible if it's your will to give me this gift? Eagerly desire these gifts, says Paul. But at the same time, for Paul it also doesn't seem to be that big a deal, so don't worry about it. He goes on in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 5. I'd like every one of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so the church may be edified. Friends, I think what he's saying is, don't worry about it. Eagerly desire, ask God, seek his face in it. But at the same time, if you feel that that isn't the gift for you, don't worry about it. It doesn't make super Christian or not. And this came home to me as I was talking and preparing for this. I had a conversation with Nathaniel uh, and Naomi Woodruff, who are both on the staff team here. And Naomi Woodruff was saying how she uses tongues privately and finds it so helpful when she runs out of words in prayer. So she kind of praying and then just goes into tongues. It's a freeing thing. Whereas Nate doesn't have the gift of tongues. And he says that's because he never runs out of words. <laughs> Now, does that make Nate a worse Christian than Naomi? No. There's plenty of other reasons that he's the worst Christian. No, I'm joking. (laughs) (laughs) Joke, joke. Two people, both love Jesus. Both have asked for the gift of tongues. One does, one doesn't. Fine. Don't worry about it. I, for myself... I find it, for me, one of the most helpful things in my own personal relationship with God, particularly in times where you're really weary, where you've got nothing, and you can just, without having to think too much, and in resisting temptation too. So I think those things are clear in the Bible. But then there are some questions, I think, that remain, and there are different perspectives on it, and I'm not sure. The first thing is this. Okay, so what actually is the gift of tongues? Is it a specific language? 
Or is it sort of just some prayer divine language that isn't in kind of recognizable terms a language on planet Earth? Well, I wonder if it could be both. I don't think there's two different gifts. I don't think there's two different types of tongues, one for public, one for not. I don't see the evidence for that. But I do see the evidence that it's primarily used personally. But having said that, at Riverside, there has been moments I know where somebody has spoken in tongues publicly and then somebody in the room has been able to say, I speak that language and has therefore been able to interpret it. And there's been other times where somebody's interpreted and it's not a kind of known language. I don't know, but I think God doesn't mind. Uh, but I do think the emphasis is primarily personal as well as it being corporate with interpretation. But how do we know then, the second question, how do we know if we have the gift of tongues, how do we know if what we're doing is what the Bible's talking about? And I think the answer is we don't. <laughs> I don't know if what I do is what was happening in Acts. I have no idea. I find it helpful. Is it sinful? I don't think so. Does it help me in my relationship with God? Yes. And so therefore I'll carry on. But if you were to force me, is this the biblical gift of tongues? I don't know. But I'm maybe not so sure that that matters. So thirdly then, finally, as we come to a close, and we're going to respond together. How do we get the gift of tongues? Well, I wonder if we simply ask our Heavenly Father for it. And then, maybe on our own, go home and try. And try for a little bit, because first time it can feel a bit odd, and see where it goes. And then not worry about it if it is a bit weird and we don't like it and it doesn't seem to be. But also to pers persevere a little bit, because sometimes we all need to grow in the gifts that God's given to us. After the first service, or towards the end, somebody came up, gave a brilliant picture. Sue Simpson gave a really helpful picture. When she was younger, she asked her parents for a saxophone. Uh, and when she first started playing that saxophone, the sound was awful. <laughs> but now she's a fairly accomplished saxophonist because practice does come. Just because in the early days it sounded awful, it doesn't mean that therefore you can't grow in it. But at the same time, there's freedom, and so don't worry about it. Like all gifts, usage of those gifts leads to development and growth.